0: One thing I've learned about myself, my my uh, leadership style, my personality style, my working style is that I like working with people. Um, I I'm an external processor. I enjoy bouncing around ideas. When I'm in a strategy meeting, I love just you know ping ponging the idea around and writing stuff up on the blackboard or the whiteboard and scrubbing things out. And um, I just there's something about with working with people that I, I just that's my style. And the same thing with music. Like I always find writing songs is a much more fulfilling and exciting experience when you do it in a group with people. Um, You know, I love being on the stage with a band um, and there might be four or five of you and then suddenly it locks in. It sounds like there's 20 of you, you know. Uh, There's something great about that. And what I'm talking about isn't necessarily to do with being an extrovert because actually I'm an introvert. I'm not like... You know, full-on extremist introvert. Obviously, um, you know those people who you just talk to and they continually look at their shoes the whole time. That's n- that's not the kind of person you are. Though you, you know you're an introvert. Um, you can tell if a child's an introvert because they actually enjoy time out. I don't know if you ever meet kids like that. So that's a joke there. Um, <laughs> this um, morning um, we're using the second most famous passage from. Ecclesiastes, the first being, you know, there is a time for that passage. This is the second most famous, and I want to persuade you that there's something fundamental about being a Christian, which means that we are not designed to be solo operators, but we're designed to cooperate with others. That's the point of this, is this whole talk this morning. And as we'll see, we're not just talking about some self-help advice for management or you know, a a nice kind of card, you know, one of those kind of sayings that you give to people, something that you'd hear on Oprah. What we're talking about here is core to being a disciple and to be a complete solo operator in life um, is actually contrary to the gospel. Now, the passage we've had, you might have heard at weddings. Uh, I always get asked to read it out at weddings. Um, And that's okay, but it's not really the point. In the same way that 1 Corinthians 13 is not about marriage, it's about uh, the kind of love churches should demonstrate. And, you know, you can use it in a wedding if you want, and if you did, you know, that's okay, whatever. But it's the same with this Ecclesiastes 4 passage, it's not really about marriage. But if you had it at your wedding, good luck to you. Now... I'll, um, what I want to do just to set it, the passage in context is talk a little bit about the two verses that go before the reading we had now if you've got a bible here you might need it or you can use your phone um, whatever um, because um, I didn't put it in the booklet but I should have after, after finishing my sermon I was like oh, I should have put those verses in as well because the verses before this famous passage set the context, and it's a there's a little story, an anecdote the teacher from Ecclesiastes gives a, about a rich loner. You know, um, I'll read it to you from verse seven to eight. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone; he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth for who am I toiling he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? this too is meaningless a miserable a miserable business so this man in this anecdote is in a business and he 's working all alone there 's no other person to share his work with I've got to remember the context a uh, kind of a near Eastern couple of thousand years ago context where um, People often worked with their relatives. Um, but this one was without sons and brothers. Seems to be by choice, um, as in not working with them by choice. These would have been the two closest males in his kind of business, uh, maybe across you know, different generations, but they're not benefiting from his work. They're not sharing in the money. They're not helping with the ideas. What's going on for him? Why is he doing this? Says the, t- you know, the teacher's kind of pointing to, to a type of person. He's cut off all relationships in order to concentrate on his work because he really wants to work hard. He wants to gain riches for himself. He's cursed with greed for more wealth. He's a tragic loner who's completely consumed by work. There is no end to his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. His life is vanity. makes me think of Gina Reinhardt. Um, <clears throat> she obviously works with thousands of people, but you know, you follow the story of her and her kids and it's like she's cutting herself off from them or they're cutting themselves off from her. There's this tragic family relationship um, and she's got all this wealth in the world, you know, almost the richest woman in the world, um, but her story is a tragic one, one of unhappiness. For who is Gina toiling? This too is meaningless, a meaningless business. And so, you know, these two verses are, are good warning for those of us who work so hard that even if we have family and friends around us, it's effectively like we're cutting them out because we don't have time for them. Um, One of the kind of strongest things I'm trying to hold to in my life as a minister is that I always make sure I have time for my family. Um, It's so easy to not do that. And uh, if I'm not having time for them, then what's the point of even being a minister? So that's the setting anyway, this kind of tragic story. Then we go into the famous passage here in weddings, um, verses 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. When it comes to riches, more is not better in Ecclesiastes. When it comes to money, it's not better. But when it comes to relationships, more is better um, because more people can share the results with their, of their work The teacher gives us a whole lot of reasons, three reasons, why it's better. Why two is better than one. Um, So here's the three reasons. Firstly, if you work as two people, you can help each other if you fall down. Really simple. Now, these suggestions that are going to be given, these three suggestions, are assuming a a kind of a work where they're probably doing a lot of walking in the countryside in the Near near East. So you've got to picture when this, these, uh, this advice is given two men probably walking together doing their business, right? So the first advice is, if one of you falls down, the other one can pick you up, right? Um, this, and this, this sounds a bit funny, but actually it seems to be a problem, you know, falling in ditches. Remember what Jesus said, can a blind person lead another blind person? Won't they both fall into a pit? Falling into pits seemed to be a problem. <laughs> There's a safety in pairs. I remember in prep at Ivanoe Grammar, if, we, if the class had to go from the prep room, say, to the art room, we'd all stand in pairs and hold hands and walk together, right? It seems funny now to say that, but that's what you do with preppies and it's to keep them safe and to stop them wandering off. I remember the school principal, when I was there, Charles Sligo, stood up in front of all of the school when I was in, like, year 11 or 12 or something and said... There is nothing more wonderful than to see two boys walking hand in hand through the school. We just thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Um, But there is something amazing about that and and just the the innocence of two little kids, you know, um, just helping each other out. Anyway, they can help each other out. Two are better than one. You can look out for each other. Secondly, two are better than one because you can keep each other warm at night. Verse 11. Now, this is not... Like a romantic <laughs> at the wedding, for or oh, looking forward to n- tonight, you know, under the doona, which is the way it's always when it's red in the weddings, everyone goes, ooh, this is bloody, you know. Um, but imagine two workers in the Near East out in the, you know, wherever, in the cold, and they don't have dooners in those days, they don't have hotels to, to go to. All you've got is a cloak, but they can keep each other warm. If you look on the back of the booklet, I love that. Um, Painting by Van Gogh, The Siesta. You'll see it. It's kind of that idea. Um, Two are better than one because you can keep, keep each other warm at night. Thirdly, two are better than one because you will better fend off an attacker. Verse 12. So again, traveling through the countryside is dangerous. Remember Jesus' parable from Luke 10, verse 30, about a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. This sort of thing happened all the time, it seems. So that's why two are better than one. I don't know if you've ever been travelling in a, in a kind of a dangerous place or a semi-dangerous place on your own. It is scary. I remember when I was 14, I had my first overseas trip and I was with a, an orchestra and we went to Fiji. And um, I can remember I decided to be brave and go for a walk on my own down the street. And I just remember being petrified because five big Fijian blokes followed me, you know, and Fijians are big boys, you know, rugby, you know. And they all, they followed me and then they cornered me and I was pretty scared. And what they, what they did was they said, what's your name? I said, Peter. And then one of them pulls out a wooden, like, show knife, carves Peter into it, says, <laughs> hey! <laughs> and then he goes, $20, you know. <laughs> and so it was their little trick for getting... Tourists to buy stuff with a bit of intimidation. If I had had a second person, I probably would have got down to five dollars. But anyway, <laughs> two is better than one because you can fend off an attacker. The fact is, let's just zoom back from the Bible a bit. These aren't just kind of nice tips, but it's general principle for the universe. God created us as social beings in the creation um, story. Um, you know. Adam is created, and then God says, it's not good for him to be alone, and he creates Eve. It's like, you need a companion. You need two. Um, it's a general rule for life, isn't it? You, you, we know um, living, just living, you need two are better than one. In life, um, in work, two are um, better than one. When you're in trouble, two are better than one. When you're lonely, two are better than one. If you're a single person, and there are lots of single people in our church, How do you apply two is better than one? How does this work out in your life? Um, Because, you know, if you're living on your own, it's hard at times. Some people really love it, but also, I mean, I lived on my own for three years. You have lonely nights. Cooking for one is hard. Um, How does this apply to you? Or what, what, you know, this two is better than one principle? I mean, I think partly that's the beauty of church, isn't it? That church can be a community that is here looking out for each other it shouldn't just be up to you um, as a single person to kind of generate community but we should all be working together to build community and and be the kind of church where um, couples will um, invite single people over and single people will invite invite couples over and our lives will kind of overlap like that and even make maybe go on holidays and invite um, each other like couples should invite single people to go on holidays with them and vice versa and just feel relaxed about that, you know, and share life together. And if loneliness is an issue for you as a single person, um, remember that it is, that's hard, and, but also loneliness is an issue in marriage too um, and it's something we need to all um, support each other with and, and, and pray for each other in that respect um, and to know that we are all meant for community, um, and that's part of the beauty of the church. Two is better than one. But then this kind of little passage ends with a surprise. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. huh? Uh, aren't we talking about two is better than one? Why are we talking about three all of a sudden? You might have heard this uh, again taught uh, at weddings husband, wife, and Jesus, right? Um, You might have heard it being taught as a strength of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot be broken. There's a harmony there. But neither of these are really what the teacher's talking about. Why would he suddenly be talking about the theology of the Trinity? Or why would he be talking about God in marriage? Uh, That's not really... If we follow through the logic of the whole chapter... Uh, this is a hangover from um, the early 20th century, 19th century biblical interpretation that loved analogy. Everything was an analogy for something, um, but it's not really what the passage is about. Some commentators think this this little line is a reference to a famous story from the era, um, but the logic of it is actually just pretty straightforward. Let's remember what we've learned so far and apply it to the chord principle. A single chord can easily be broken. It can't survive a fall. It can't keep warm, warm at night. It can't with, withstand an attacker. On the other hand, two chords are much better. They can survive a fall. They can keep warm at night. They can overcome an attacker. So imagine how strong three chords working together would be. That's the logic. It's not like two is some magic Number two are better than one so a three four five six and seven or more the point is god created us for companionship we are social beings think about the laws god gave to israel laws about community about caring for your neighbor and these laws have a special focus in leviticus 19 verse 18 which you think what's that i would i don't know that verse yes you do you shall love your neighbor as yourself and in, in the New Testament, Jesus reiterated that we should not be selfish loners, but care for our neighbours. Jesus also reiterated the command from Leviticus 19.18 and commanded us to love our neighbours ourselves in Matthew 22.39. Jesus himself acted on the wisdom, two are better than one. So rather than being this solo religious figure, he gathered people around him. And he sent them out two by two in Mark 6. Jesus also instructed his followers, if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you in my name by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And the early church we see as they emerge in the book of Acts are not loners. They're not, I can be a Christian on my own type people. Luke reports in Acts, that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions, give their money to the poor, distribute the proceeds all around as people had need. In the Anglican church um, across the world for many years, it's still going a little bit, but it's dying out, there was a phenomenon known as the 8am service. Hands up who's been to the 8am service before? A few of you, Guilty. Um, the 8 a.m. service was like a bit like this. It was, they would often use the 1662 prayer book, Shakespearean type language, with a short five-minute sermon, a couple of hymns with the organ, and communion if you were lucky. And the con- congregation, usually grey-haired, would arrive separately on the cold morning, mainly because I didn't want to be there with the kids, so <laughs> I choose the 8 o'clock service. Um, and they'd walk into church, sit on their own in a special pew, it would be in their spot, and they would always sit there. Sometimes they'd have a plaque on it even. And they would say their private prayers quietly, sing the hymns under their breath, put their money in the plate as it went around, and then walk out at the end and go home. No morning tea or anything. It's like private worship for private people in a conservative faith. But this is not what being in the church is about. It's, it's got nothing to do with it. Um, it's just solo Christianity. So we put a bit of effort here at this church to make it more community-like when we have our church services and have us all interact and, and talk at the end and have community life. But, you know, while you might, might not go to an 8am service, you might still be making the mistake of being a solo Christian. So you might be associated with this church or another church, maybe, but really you're living your life as a solo Christian, um, you don't read the Bible with anyone. You don't pray with anyone. You don't have anyone to talk to about your faith. Two are better than one. And a three-strand a three, uh, cord is even better. And that, that applies to being a disciple. If you don't already, you could get yourself a mentor. Even think about mentoring somebody else. I have a bunch of mentor, mentors and coaches that um, speak into my life. I found that through relationships, um, when I mentor others, that my faith is built up because two is better than one everyone wins and it's common um you know for people to be at churches for a while and to feel like they're not connecting um and if that's you and you're here this morning and you're feeling i'm still not really connecting with people at mary creek um know that you're not alone it's hard as you know if you're in a new church to to make friends but um we're all in the same boat we all want to encourage all of you um, and uh, if, you, if you're not getting anywhere come and talk to me, I'd love to be your friend and um, seriously I'm, and I'll, I'll try and just engineer something so that we can start to connect, it does require a bit of just stepping out and talking to people and getting to know people and it takes time um, two is better than one and this is why we put effort into the community groups at Mary Creek because we believe two is better than one, three and four and five and six are even better Um, and it's you know it is true that our community groups are taking a while you know it's like a big kind of elephant that we're trying to push you know to get it to start walking Uh, but we are committed to it and we'll just keep working at it and there is life there is life in these groups and I know that going into 2015 that these groups will grow and they'll come a bit more natural and it won't feel as awkward as it might feel at the moment and there'll be more groups And please be praying for this. If you're not in a group, if you think, I don't even fit in the groups at Mary Creek, you know, um, again, talk to me. We can work something out. Maybe it's time for us to start a fourth group. It's a real possibility. So the Apostle Paul pleaded with the church, if there is any encouragement in Christ, he said, any consolation from love and sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit like the loner would, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Philippians 2. Even though the church has many members, the many, many members form a body, don't they? The body of Christ. As members, we work together as the, the church so the teacher challenges us not to work just by and for ourselves but to work humbly with and for others this is fundamental to what it means to be a christian to go it alone is futile to work together offers many advantages jesus also urges us not to live for ourselves but to love our neighbor as ourselves Paul says that we are all members of one body, the body of Christ. As members of one body, we cannot go it alone, but must work together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It's obvious to say, but we live in an individualistic culture. It creeps into our work and into our relationships, but it can creep into our discipleship as well. Christians can't be self-focused because we are members of a community. As members of the body of Christ, we ought to work together for the coming kingdom of God on earth. All the individual work that we throw our lives into will one day fade away, but the work we put into the kingdom of God will never fade away. And so Paul encourages us, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we are a church uh, that wants to be a loving community. We want to resemble you, the divine community, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons and one God. You've made us in your image as social beings. We pray for us at Mary Creek that we can know the wise saying that two are better than one. We want to be a real community, not just a bunch of individuals who sit next to each other in church services. So we pray for our community groups that while they've had humble beginnings, that they will grow stronger and produce meaningful relationships. As the writer of the Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen.